If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hi there. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy you are joining us this week. This is Valentine's week, and I hope you had a wonderful Valentine's week. And if you don't have a Valentine, oh my gosh, seriously, go buy yourself a pie, buy yourself some chocolate, buy yourself some flowers, buy yourself a cute outfit, whatever you need. Make yourself special to you. I bought myself a pie And I also bought myself a cute little pair of shoes, and I'm really happy about my Valentine's gift to myself. So no shame in that. I find it a bit ironic that I'm choosing to do an episode about love, what love is and what love isn't, as though I am some sort of love expert, which I find super hilarious because everything I know about love is from doing everything the wrong way. And that does not just include romantic relationships, marriages, partnerships, not that. It does include that to a degree, but it also includes the way I am in relationship with my friends, where I'm in relationship with my children. My idea of love and the foundation of love sprinkles over everything because the way you believe about love will touch every relationship you have, no matter if it's romantic or platonic, whether it's parental or not. The way you think and believe about love will touch everything. So, As I said, I've learned it the hard way, and I have learned a few things, and I figured what better week to share it than the week of Valentine's Day. So I'm excited to get into this episode, and if you are not in the Facebook community, I would love for you to be in it because after this episode, I'm going to be asking you guys all the things about what you think about love. So if you want to join in that conversation, you can opt into the community by going to my website, just a jesusfollower.com backslash podcast backslash podcast group. I'd love to have you in there. Without any further ado, let's get into this episode. Here we go. So we're talking about love today, and we are on the back end of Valentine's Day, and in a perfect world, I would have had this episode out on Valentine's Day, but for those of you that have kids, you know how it goes, right? The school parties, the Valentine baskets, all the all the treats and goodies and all of the things, right? And so my Valentine's Day was absolutely crazy, but absolutely so much fun. I was thinking, though, throughout Valentine's Day, as I was shopping up and down the aisles, and yes, last minute shopper, I was shopping up and down the aisles looking for these cute little things to get my kids. And I had this wave wash over me of sadness. And and it's not because this Valentine's Day is super sad for me by any means, but 
It's because most Valentine's Days for me historically have been a letdown. And I can attribute that to commercialism. I could attribute it to just our society and our culture and how much pressure we put on Valentine's Day to be something just super over the top when in reality, that's not real life. But I don't think that that's what it was. I think that for the longest time, I had mixed up ideas about love. And so I that kind of pushed me to do some soul searching and some inner dialogue and realize some things that I have undone. I have deconstructed out of my life of former beliefs. And a big one for me is that around the topic of love, what love is, what love isn't. So I wanted to just tackle this idea of love because I can remember the first idea of like warm, fuzzy love. And this this is, of course, touching the more like boyfriend, girlfriend kind of love, um, a romantic love, if you will. There's all different kinds of love. But that love in particular, I remember being little, and I mean like fourth, fifth grade, something like that, and feeling like I just loved my boyfriend. Now, I will give you guys this much. He was super adorable. He brought me for Valentine's Day a rose and a little heart box of Russell Stover chocolates, and I was done for. I was like, this is the guy. I was naming my kids. I was planning the wedding dress, all the things at the lovely age of, you know, fourth, fifth grade. And he was my quote unquote boyfriend for like the rest of the year. We were super cool little homeschool kids. We didn't have many options, but you know, we, we liked each other. It worked. And of course you move out of that phase and you grow up into a real world where love is not as simple as a rose and a box of chocolates. Although wouldn't it be nice if it were right? But love definitely took on a lot of different meanings and shapes and sizes for me throughout the course of my life. And when I think about friendships and when I think about partnerships, marriage, even my relationship with my children, my fundamental beliefs of what love was has changed so much. And I don't know that it's a change that I could necessarily have pinpointed years ago for you. But over time, I started kind of like my faith journey, asking questions. Why do I do this? Why do I believe this? Why do I practice this? Right? All of those good, healthy questions that pushed me into a deconstruction of my faith also pushed me down a road of deconstructing relationships. And so much of that centered around this nucleus of what I believed love truly was. For those of you who come from the Christian evangelical religious background, you probably can identify with the idea of love being something that's hard and painful. And when I say that, I mean, I remember being in youth group and being told that loving my friends in high school meant giving them tracks and giving them invitations to youth group and focusing all of my efforts to introduce them to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and get them eventually, if I was really good, I could get them in the church doors and down the front aisle for a full confession of faith, right? That was what I believed the central theme of love was. 
Now, when I transitioned into romantic relationships, which let's be honest, when you're homeschooled and in a tight little Christian conservative bubble, romance definitely uh, is something that takes a back seat because we're supposed to be dating Jesus. Um, but, you know, lots of people work around that and find loopholes around that, such as yours truly. And so I dated a lot and I had a lot of love interests and boyfriends and things of that nature. And I remember as I started getting closer to the age of thinking about marriage, sincerely thinking about marriage, love took on this idea of submission. Now, depending upon what church group you were in, most of them would agree with the whole, you know, woman, women submit to your husband idea. But then some of the more out there churches, a little bit more forward thinking churches would suggest the idea of submitting one into another. And of course, they're quoting Paul with both of these references. Well, <clears throat> of course, I liked the idea of submitting one into another. I was like, yes, please sign me up for that portion. However, indoctrinated through this whole submission idea, and I think this applied in my life everywhere, is this idea of laying down your life for someone you love. And you could read that a lot of different ways. But when you are in a culture where the central focus of your common beliefs are built on this foundation of this man, the son of God, Jesus, dying for you because he loves you so much, allowing himself to be brutally murdered, abused, spit upon, beaten, and killed for the sake of someone that he loves i.e. were taught us, right? Mankind were taught. He did that because he so loved the world. It doesn't take long for your mind to begin connecting the dots of that's what love does. Love doesn't really have many boundaries because when you love someone, you should want to lay down everything for them. And in a marriage situation, in a dating situation, in a friendship situation, in a child situation, I have seen this idea sprinkle a shadow over all of it. And I'm going to break that down. Okay, so for me personally, and I've talked about this on the show before, about how I was a people pleaser and how I didn't know how to say no, all the things, right? Well, truthfully, I am, I'm on the Enneagram. I'm a three. For those of you Enneagram lovers, you're going to totally track with me as I'm saying this. I like to get my stuff done and get it done well. I'm a learner. I like to be the best at anything I try. So here I am, a Christian in this faith that is built on love. I was going to love the best. <laughs> as sick as that sounds, but I was like, yo, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to be the best person of love there is. And so I, genuinely loved so many people. And I genuinely cared for so many people that it became this practice for me of continually laying down my life for the people I loved, which translated to me never saying no. And when you look at that in a friendship, that can get real tricky because most of your friendships begin looking more one-sided where you are the doer, you are the giver, you are the server, and they are the taker. Not all of my friendships were like that, but a lot of them were. 
And I seemed happy with it like that. I would get frustrated every now and then because, you know, I wanted to be listened to too sometimes. I wanted someone to drop stuff for me sometimes too. But there was always this voice in me that was like, no, no, you are laying down your life for this person that you love. This is what love does. God will honor this kind of love. I built many relationships on that foundation. Well, then you look into my marriages and it's interesting how it looked different um, in both because I was in such different seasons of life. However, I definitely embodied the idea of being a servant, not stirring the pot, not confronting um, because I wanted to keep peace and because I wanted to, in love, turn the other cheek. I wanted to, in love, serve, submit, build the other one up. I laid down my life for my husband. And I can't sit here and tell you that I regret it because I genuinely felt that I was doing the right thing. But what I also can tell you is that there's a whole nother side of love that I didn't find out until it was probably too late. I'm going to get to that part in a minute, but I'm going to move in here to to parenting. As a parent, um, when you are loving from this idea of laying down your life and all the things, oh boy. So there's a lot of guilt um, anyway, being a parent. Any moms in the cars listening to this? Like, can I get an amen? Like there is, mom guilt is real. It's a real thing. I'm sure dads get it too, but I just know from my own personal experience that mom parental guilt is a bear. And it can drive you to think and do the most absurd, insane, asinine things. So when you add into the guilt that we already have as parents feeling like we're already not doing enough, you add in this guilt of being willing to, you know, be murdered like Jesus was on a cross for your child. And you add in the spiritual weight of laying down your life. You add in the physical weight of laying down your life. You add in the emotional weight of laying down your life. You add in all of these elements of what, quote unquote, laying down your life would and could look like. And I mean, if you're like me, I I literally raised my hands and I was like, oh, well, I cannot be enough. Good God, I'm going to fail. Where do I start saving for their therapy bill? Because I will never be able to be all of that ever in a million years. But I was going to go down trying. And so I did. I exhausted myself trying to be everything to them at all times because I thought that's what Christ-like love looked like. Okay. So to the deconstructing part, because I think we're all on the same page here where you kind of get the idea of how unhealthy this train was going, right? This was This was not a good train to be on. Um, But I will say you're very well liked when you are on that path, because what is not to like about someone whose sole mission is to make you feel good and be your everything, and they kill themselves when they feel like they're not doing that? Who wouldn't want to be loved by someone like that, right? So you might win some popularity contest with this kind of love, but it's not healthy long-term, nor does it resemble what I think the whole picture of love is? So as I deconstructed this portion of my life, because I realized this was going to kill me and I realized I 
I was dying on the inside because there was no space for me to receive any sort of love or any sort of support because I was constantly loving and supporting others. I was off balance. And you can't live a life off balance. You have to have balance and love, especially the way you love your friends, your family, your partner, your children. If it's out of balance, you will not be okay. And I think for so many of us, when a relationship is off balance, it's not what we want, right? We all want, at least I think for the most part, we want to believe that the relationships we're in are good, that we made a good choice in choosing that person, that we're doing a decent job at playing the role we're trying to play in their life. And when you start to sense that it's off balance, like this denial thing kicks in. You're like, no, 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 no. It's me. It's me. I'm sure it's me. I can, I can fix this. I can just be more present. I can be more this. I can be more that. And they'll, they'll turn around too. Maybe that works for some people. I have not been in many relationships where they took a lead like that. Um, which leads me to this revelation I had. Okay. So I realized that in this arena of love, that my belief of love meant that they had all the power instead of realizing that real love is equal power. Real love means you say hard things because they need to be said. Real love sits in uncomfortable spaces and has really hard conversations because they're needed. Real love looks like truth-telling, even when it might cost you the relationship. Real love looks like loving yourself well first, and then being able to extend what's left to the people around you. Real love means admitting where your skills stop and where someone else's skills need to pick up. Real love is honest, and real love has the ability to say no. One thing I started realizing in a lot of my relationships was that I had not created environments where I could say no. There's that saying that you teach people how to treat you. I sincerely believe that is true. I taught my partner in marriage, and I taught my children, and I taught my friends that me saying no wasn't really an option. And if I did say no, it upset the universe so much that I quickly recanted and was like, never, never, never mind. (laughs) I take it back. I take it back. And so I started realizing that if somebody really loves you, they will hear your no. If somebody really loves you, they will be willing to sit in the hard spaces with you and have those tough truth-telling conversations. If somebody really loves you, they can respect your boundaries in that not only can you say no, but also in that you're not capable of saying yes to everything. You are not capable of being your partner's therapist, your partner's best friend, your partner's lover, your partner's co-worker, your partner's maid, your partner's housekeeper, your partner's accountant. You're not capable of playing all of those roles. 
Same with your children. You are not capable of being everything to them at every waking minute. I'm not capable of being my children's teacher, my children's pastor, my children's best friend, my children's encourager, my children's therapist, my children's playmate, my children's chef, my children's like, I can go on and on with the kid thing, right? Like I'm not capable of doing everything for them in the way that they need it. And the interesting thing about people, especially when you have kids, is that no two are the same. The needs that my oldest daughter have are very different from the needs of her sister. I might be able to meet one, but not the other because I'm not wired to meet that. Same with your partner. They may have needs that you are just not wired to meet. And I think there's a great deal of freedom when we can sit in that space, take off the expectations and breathe and just say, you're free to not have to be everything for me. And I'm free to not have to be everything for you. That is when you begin to really know a person. Because as much as the laying down your life idea of constantly killing yourself to show up and killing yourself to be all the hats that are needed for that person on the go all the time, they're not seeing all of you because that's not you. The real you, you may have been taught like I was to not show people. The real you has limits. In how much they can be around a person. The real you has limits in what they are able to do in playing with their kid. The real you has limits in what you can do as far as being a listener for this person. The real you has a lot of no's. (laughs) A lot. But see, we don't allow the people we say we love the most to ever see the full us because we've been taught the full us is bad. And that to love them well, we have to pretend to be this savior. My friends, you're not anybody's savior, and neither am I, and thank God for that. That's a job description way above my pay grade and yours. Happy hallelujah. But in this realm of Christianity, it's almost like this idea of being like Jesus becomes this idol of something that we kill ourselves to be in relationships that is just not possible. One of my favorite things about the story of Jesus is that he only died once. Can we just like say that again, that he was only crucified one time? So this idea of daily crucifixions for the people that you love is what love like God and Jesus is supposed to look like is just not plausible because if that were the case, we would have seen Jesus resurrecting every three days and going out and getting murdered again and resurrecting again and doing the whole thing again. That would be daily, like allowing people to kill you for their sake, but that's not what he modeled. In fact, he was pretty clear about boundaries with people. Even the people he loved the most, he was clear when he had needs. Remember that night he um, stayed up all night praying in the garden? He was so overcome with grief and heartache and all the things. And he asked his friends, like, please don't fall asleep. Stay awake with me. I need you. 
He had needs that he vocalized. He didn't lay himself down and like wallow in pain without raising a hand and saying, I need support right now. He didn't do that. When he needed to be alone, he retreated. He left the crowds of people and he went off to be alone. When he needed time with friends, he did that. And when he felt it was time to do the work he was purposed for, he carved time for that. And when the whole world that he was trying to serve turned on him, okay, he laid down and he took it. So this idea of sacrifice on a daily basis is just, it's not like Jesus. It's not biblical and it's really not healthy. Most importantly, it is not healthy. And so I want to just insert this idea in your mind that there might be some rhythms and some habits that you're in because of your background, because of where you come from, that you might be stuck in, in your relationships with your partner, with your friends, with your kids, whomever, that you might not even know that you're in. One of the best um, freeing moments for me was when I realized I didn't have to be everything to my friends and everything to my children and everything to my spouse. That was so liberating. And it literally came from a like gut-wrenching on the floor, sucking carpet, bawling my eyes out moment with God where I realized I didn't have to do that anymore. Like I realized I don't have to die for these people on a daily basis. No one is asking that of me. Why do I think I have to do this? And the release that came when I let go of that expectation was enormous. And it made for some very honest truth-telling conversations in my marriage, which did not land well. And that's a lot of the reason why we are no longer together. But the thing is, is that I had to be honest about some things that needed to be addressed. And I had to show him the real me in some areas that he didn't really want to hear. And that's just relationship. Like, that's not a huge deal. That should have been going on our whole marriage. That's my point. It shouldn't go 10 years and then boil up to this huge, dramatic, climactic moment. These were conversations we should have been having. I just didn't know I had the permission to have them. You find out a lot about your compatibility with a person when you are exposed and when you set the foundation of a relationship built on truth-telling. Because honesty is not always easy on either end to hear it or to speak it. It is not always easy, but that's where authentic, real connection happens. And I think you find out really quick who you connect with and who you don't, whether it's a friend or a partner. You're going to figure out, okay, this is this is a good relationship. I want to dig deeper here. Or okay, this is, I, I, they're not creating space where I can be authentic. I'm either getting shut down or I'm getting dismissed or they're uncomfortable. This is not somewhere I can be open. And hooray for figuring that out. The problem is a lot of us, I think, go throughout our lives and we build these friendships or these marriages or these relationships. And we go a long time without realizing Nobody's really hitting the honest button. Truth-telling is huge. Having permission to create 
conversation where you don't have to be always saying yes and you don't have to be someone you're not is a big deal. When I um, began translating this to parenting, and this, of course, is something huge to me now because my role does not include spouse anymore, but just includes being a parent. It was so relieving when I realized, you know, that phrase, it takes a village. Oh my gosh, it's actually true. <laughs> like, I have friends who are filling gaps for me and my kids that I can't fill. I have like relatives, my kids, aunts and uncles and grandparents who fill gaps for these kids that I cannot fill. Each of them are so unique. Each of them have different needs and different rhythms and different love languages and all the things. And I physically, mentally am not built to be everything to each of them. I'm just not. I have parts where I connect with each of them and I treasure those and I dig deep in those areas. But when I feel out of my element, I tap somebody else in. And I'm not ashamed to do that. They are going to be much better humans if I allow other people in their lives who bring things to the table that I can't bring. My oldest daughter is huge into sports. She is like crazy good soccer player. And I know nothing about sports. I know nothing about soccer. I've been watching her play soccer since she was like five and I still barely understand the game. I mean, I know when I'm supposed to cheer and scream, but like the fouls and all that stuff, I'm like uh, offsides. I don't know. What does this mean? I don't know. But I show up. I can do that. We like bond driving in the car and, you know, we'll go get ice cream after if she gets a goal. Like I can connect with her on that stuff, but that's not our big connection. Our big connection is relationship, like talking about friends and life and boys and all that stuff. But she does need voices in her life that can encourage her athletically because it's a big deal to her. It's a big part of her life. Me being able to let go of oh my gosh, I have to be the absolute best soccer mom and I have to like know all the things and I have to like sign up for all these events and do all this like sporty stuff and kick the ball with her in the backyard. Like that is not me. I, I, I've done it a few times. I do sign up and show up at food booths and stuff, but I am not that person and that's okay. But for a long time, I didn't know that that was okay. Now that I realized oh, okay, this is where other people can step up where I'm not as good. She has other adults in her life that know the game, that know what it takes to get into college soccer, that know how to like practice with her. And I'm like, have at it. She needs this. I can't do this. So little things like that, that I have given myself the permission to let go of being the everything to everyone and instead realize life is meant to be lived in community. And that trickles into parenting. I can't do it all and neither can you. And that's okay. It actually gives you a big sigh of relief when you realize that too. Huge. Same with my friends. I don't have to play all the roles for them. And if my phone is going off at midnight and I have to get up early in the morning and I have to send it to voicemail, okay. Before that would have given me like huge anxiety, like, oh my gosh, I'm turning my back on someone that needs me. And I would have killed myself and not slept anyway and would have called them back. Now, if I can't pick up, I can't pick up. And maybe that's okay. One thing that I've realized too about setting boundaries and truth telling and being honest is that that is oftentimes the most loving thing you can give to someone. Me telling you, that everything's fine, 
in a relationship when it's not is not doing you any favors. Me picking up the phone for the 20 millionth time from someone who's calling and calling and calling, and we just keep talking in circles, I'm clearly not doing them any good. Sometimes speaking the truth, of course, in love, right? Not being a jerk about it, but being loving and speaking truth is often one of the best gifts you can give someone that you love. I've realized that this idea of laying down my life for people has come at the expense of enabling a lot of people. I didn't realize I was doing that. I didn't want to be an enabling mom or an enabling wife or an enabling friend. No one wants to be that. But when you feel this obligation to love this person at the expense of yourself, oftentimes you're going to end up enabling something that probably should be looked at in them. One of my very best friends I had to have a really hard conversation with. And I had to tell her, like, this part of you and the way you relate to people is, like, really unhealthy. And if this is going to keep being this way, I don't think we can be hanging out as much or as close anymore because this is now affecting me. And I don't think anybody wants to tell you how big of an issue this is, but it's an issue. And I think you need to talk to someone about this. I didn't want to have that conversation. For all I knew, she would have been like, "Um, get out and we're not friends anymore. And I would have been so sad because I love my friend. But I, I had to say it. And you know, that was years ago. To this day, she will tell you that that was the most loving thing anyone's ever done for her, which is so ironic because I felt so mean when I was saying, I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to hate me. This feels so mean coming out of my mouth. But the truth is, is that, and she will say this, she's like, no one loved me enough ever to tell me that. And in her case, it she needed to see a doctor and needed to get some things figured out. But by me not having that conversation, I would have enabled something that was not healthy for her or any of her other relationships. And so sometimes, as hard as it is, being truthful, setting boundaries, saying no, is the most loving thing you can give to someone. So to wrap this up, what love is versus what love isn't. Love is laying down your life for someone you love. Love includes laying down your pride when you need to. Love includes laying down your fear of rejection and having hard conversations. Love includes saying no for your own health. Love includes not being crucified every day for anybody. Love includes loving yourself well first. Love includes not enabling, but truth-telling instead. And love includes admitting that you cannot be their savior and you cannot be absolutely everything to them all the time. Love is a relationship where both people are equals. It's not one-sided. Nobody holds the power, but the power is shared equally. Ironically, love isn't always laying down your life for people. Love isn't saying yes all the time. Love isn't being a savior and making their life better 
at every beck and call. Love isn't picking up the phone even when you can't because it's inconvenient and you need sleep. Love isn't being everything to them all the time. Love isn't avoiding hard conversations for the sake of peace. Love isn't enabling. Love isn't a power struggle. And love isn't one-sided. Loving healthy relationships are where both people feel safe to be open and honest in saying yes and in saying no. Loving relationships include two people who feel the freedom to be their whole self, not just the self that makes the other one comfortable. Loving relationships are where both of them know where the other one's at. And loving relationships are where both of them have built a trust where they can be honest and have hard conversations and love each other well through them. Go in peace. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.